Hello, Makers of Minnesota friends and fans. We have a whiskey dinner coming up featuring Keeper's Heart Whiskey made right here in Minneapolis at the O'Shaughnessy Distilling Company. Started by cousins and lifelong friends Patrick and Michael O'Shaughnessy, they both had a vision to make whiskeys worthy of their rich Irish-American heritage. Helmed by world-renowned master distiller Brian Nation, they set about building a state-of-the-art distillery in Minneapolis to produce world-class whiskeys and serve as a source of pride for their Irish community. At their distillery, the magic of whiskey making begins with three triple copper pots, where they make American whiskey in the traditional Irish triple distillation style. Their flagship offering, Keeper's Heart Irish American Whiskey, is the first whiskey to blend the very best of Irish and American distilling traditions to deliver a truly unique and remarkable taste experience. At this dinner, you'll taste each of the components that make up Keeper's Heart Irish Whiskey, paired with food courses prepared by Nick O'Leary, the Lexington's heralded chef. Like Makers of Minnesota's dinners in the past, I'll be hosting, but we'll be joined by O'Shaughnessy Distillery's master distiller, Brian Nation, who will walk us through each course and help us appreciate this American-Irish whiskey made right here in Minnesota. So join us February 15th at the Lexington for a post-Valentine's Day celebration with Keeper's Heart American Whiskey. We'll be the exclusive diners in the restaurant for the evening, and you'll mingle with me and toast your fellow whiskey lovers. We'll have a limited number of tickets for this special night, and when they're gone, they're gone. So go to thelexmn.com and sign up via Eventbrite for their Makers of Minnesota Keeper's Heart Whiskey Dinner and Tasting on February 15th. Again, get your tickets now at thelexmn.com. everybody and welcome to the makers of minnesota podcast where we talk to cool people doing cool things and we coincidentally are in the middle of dry january which is i guess a thing that 20 percent of americans have participated in which seems like a lot but i am with my guest today Haley turner and micah pence pace is it pace pace you got it Haley turner and micah pace and they're from a newish company called muddle and mint And you guys, I have been getting just rave reviews about your products that you sent me. I tried them myself and liked them so much. I used them in a TV segment about dry January. And I'm curious how you guys started your formulations or decided that you wanted to create what is essentially a cocktail mixer, but can be used for mocktails too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hallie likes Sally. I use she, her pronouns. Okay. Uh, So as I've gotten older, I wanted to drink less. I found that I was making decisions about who I was hanging out with when based on what drinking activities would be around. And I started to feel left out. I didn't want other people to feel left out. So we created bold, complex beverages that allowed people to feel like they were a part of the in crowd because of their story, not despite it. And our focus was on these bold, complex flavors that felt like a cocktail experience, whether or not you wanted to add alcohol. It's so interesting that this has become such a big category and I'm thrilled because, you know, I can remember the days of being pregnant and you'd ask for something non-alcoholic and, you know, the poor bartender would be like, well, how about a cranberry juice with a hit of Sprite? Like, okay, great. Um, I just, I feel like there's so many more options for people now 
When you sat down and looked at putting your flavors together, who's kind of the mixologist of the group? That'd be me. Okay. And so when you have your delineation of labor, did you know right away, like what kind of flavor profiles? Cause you have the hibiscus sage Mm -hmm. and, and you have two other ones that you have a grapefruit. And then I'm trying to think of what the third one is. It's a mint tea. Yeah. Indeed. You you remembered all of them. Yeah, I did. Cause I really honestly do think they're pretty great and they're different. You know, each of the, of the dry January cocktail mixers I featured, you know, some were kind of juice forward, some were kind of more simple syrup forward, others were more um, botanical or bitters forward. Yours was a little juicier and I liked it. Yeah, we wanted, we did want juice. We wanted people to be able to look at ingredients and see things that were familiar. And we added herbs to bring some of the complex, sometimes bitter, sometimes more savory notes. Uh, but they are, they definitely are juice forward compared to some other options that are distilled, et cetera. What is the path from a business standpoint? So how do you, so we're in the middle of dry January, you guys, this episode will appear, I think the last week of January. So what is the business model moving forward? Do you then switch into cocktail mixers and because they're, they'd be perfectly great for that too. Um, you know, it's, it's, we talk about this a bit being, you know, they are mocktails, um, and we're in dry January, but this is for all the time. Like this is, this is, you know, that's a good marketing push for us, but these are not, um, just, you know, you know, that one month a year or maybe two months a year, we really want, um, people that have this at their, you know, at their home at their bar and, uh, and also in restaurants and in bars, um, all the time just to help just that one more tool for people, uh, that one more ingredient or the, you know, or just drink them as is, um, they're, they're always kind of available. We've also right. found that our biggest customer segment is occasional drinkers. So they use this beverage. Occasionally they add alcohol. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I can see that because it's very good companion, I thought, for gin, vodka, tequila. But also I thought the the tea um, mint with whiskey was also nice. So do you go then to a distributor? Do you try to go that route? Do you try to sell online? Do you go to markets? What's the sales strategy at this point? We do have a distributor. We work with AM Craft Spirit and we have been in retail stores uh, since about May, 2021. Uh, We're currently in 32 ounce bottles. We are going to can production in a couple of weeks. So we're also going to be able to push the ready to drink market as well. Uh, Being in a bottle, people are like, oh, you're a mixer. And it's like, well, we're both. Uh, in a can, it signals that we're ready to drink, especially as hospitality starts to hopefully recover soon. On the other side of the pandemic, we really want to push into spaces where ready to drink, alcohol-free, in a can, gives us access to spaces like concerts, theaters, where you don't currently have options like ours, but you can't have glass. Right. So you'll still keep it without the alcohol, so it'll be a canned mocktail, as it were, but yep. again, easy to use as a mixer or to yep. throw in your bag for the cabin or. Yep. Exactly. All above. You got it. What's yeah, it, it's what? fun. Uh, you were just being kind of going forward. It's been interesting to the conversations that we've been having with, uh, you know, we 
thought like we were our own market basically. Um, but as we're sharing these with folks, we're taking these into dive bars basically that I would never have thought like this would be a place and getting reception, like getting this good feedback. Um, and then we go into like a, a higher end restaurant that has like a complete cocktail menu. And again, like they know what they're doing, but yet it, this still is like this really cool, um, drink and beverage that they can bring in, uh, private social clubs. And so it's, it's cool to see where people are latching on and getting excited, um, with these beverages. And I think when, oh, go ahead. No, please. You first. Well, I think when you think about, you know, I guess it's customer forward. Like I love a dive bar. And I also yeah. love a fancy, you know, place like Spoon and Stable or I guess Meteor Bar is one of my favorite bars. And that's Rob Jones, you know, and he's not going to make you a crappy cocktail. I love that we just have so many choices and people don't really talk about drinking and driving as much as they used to. But someone in our family was killed in an accident in 1979. And it has always been on my mind when I'm out and about, you know, I'm always thinking about that. And having an opportunity to have something in your hand just to keep the night rolling, but without feeling like you're drinking a can of soda pop is really kind of nice. Absolutely. We were selling at a farmer's market this summer and there was one they had bands and a band member had walked up with his other band members. They were each trying them. Four of the five of them drank. And the fifth one was like, Oh my gosh, this feels like an adult cocktail. This is the first that I feel like I've been included in the four or five years since I quit drinking. So we we have intentionally made it so that you can have the same thing in your hand that other people have. They may have alcohol, you may not, but you're now a part of the in crowd in a way that you haven't been with the options that had been available, like the cranberry with a splash of Sprite. Right. So what's your what's your individual backgrounds that got you here? I have bartended and I worked at a liquor store for a while to help pay down student loans. So uh, mine's kind of more like this beverage perspective. Micah, what's your background? I come from more of a culinary background. Uh, so I went to culinary school. Um, I guess my big my big around the Twin Cities, uh, I did a lot of contract work, but I, the, my big place around the Twin Cities uh, was the chef for the governor uh, for five years. Oh, that's funny. And we have two other businesses, so we're not new to entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah, we let's do talk about, enjoy that. Let's that talk about that. What are your other businesses? Uh, uh, the, the big other business, I'm in real estate. Um, it was something that was a kind of a passion of mine as a little kid. I don't know why I kind of latched on. And so uh, just kind of worked out timing-wise that it, when all the housing re- recession happened, I was able to start um, buying and renovating homes. So I've been doing that kind of on the side, has turned into kind of a full-time um, job, but I also get help with management companies that help me with that. So that's kind of one of them. We have a hobby business because we need <laughs> something else to do. And then a hobby business. Which is cold brew coffee. Uh, it's coffee in big iced tea bags. So you're able to steep coffee overnight with easy cleanup in the morning. Okay, so how do you decide as serial entrepreneurs, and a lot of the people I talk to are, how do you decide how to manage your day? (laughs) Candidly, I don't know if I do. Do you just Uh, like, here's, here's, I'll just kind of speak from my own experience, because I do lots of jobs too. And I tend to just manage my day by my inbox. And so I just like start and go start going down. And then 
I realized like after a couple of weeks, like, oh, I have this, you know, long list of things in my inbox, some that aren't as important, but I need to get to them otherwise. And I just always am looking for a way that's better than that. Someone was like, well, you should schedule your time so that this day you work on this business and that day. And, you know, that's not very customer service friendly because when customers need you, they need you. They don't care what day you're on. Yeah. So I just have always struggled with that. And I'm just wondering if anyone has a better system. I don't think I do. Uh, I do. I also have a day job. I work public sector. So I do in my day job for sure. I manage my day with my inbox, which is very ineffective evenings and weekends. I feel like I do a little bit better because I have even less time to dedicate to my businesses. So I have to be a lot more intentional about when I schedule things. For example, if I have to make a call, I have to make it during my lunch hour so that the restrictiveness of my evenings and weekends force me to be a little bit more productive with my businesses. I am always trying to create new systems right now. I've been navigating, building a second brain of sorts in an app called Notion, but I think I spend more time organizing than actually doing the work. So I'm still trying to figure that out. Micah, do you have any tips or tricks? Uh, No, the only thing that I was thinking of is that a lot of the, I find the three different businesses, thankfully for me, uh, need me at different times. So muddle and mint, you know, if I'm trying to meet with, um, you know, either doing a tasting or doing a, you know, mocktail class or meeting with a bar owner mid, you know, mid afternoon on Thursdays and Fridays, like that's peak time where it's like our hobby business with coffee. Like I can do that at 10 PM, like in my basement, basically. (laughs) Um, and then real estate, whenever the phone rings. So it's just kind of like, let it fill in. Do you feel like you'll have to pick at some point on what you are going to focus on or what the greatest investment opportunity is, I guess? We already are. That's why we describe coffee as a hobby business. It is the thing that's being neglected in our world. So we're just kind of letting it be what it is. So if I did have any pearls of wisdom and be two, one, lower your standards you're probably your own worst critic. So uh, be willing to celebrate the milestones as they come without holding yourselves to like perfect ideals and schedule time that you can work on thing, not necessarily goals. So for example, I don't sit down to finish my content calendar. I say that I can spend two hours on my content calendar. So I'm just much more practical about what I'm actually contributing in the moment. And then when my two hours are up, I walk away regardless of what status the content calendar is in. And that's all I can control. I always tell my sister that because she's a lawyer and everything is billed by the minute. And in her personal life, she feels like a lot of times it suffers because she's always trying to get back to that clock. And I said, you know, you have to kind of look at most of the world. I honestly, this is a terrible thing to say, but I'm going to say it. I think most of the world kind of does see work. Like they get by, sometimes they have flashes of a work, you know, sometimes things go awry and it's worse than C, but for the most part, I think the world is kind of pretty average. And then if you have really driven entrepreneurial type people, you know, they don't know how to do C work. And so sometimes you need to do C work in your life in order to get to the A work. Yeah. And, you know, if you're constantly beating yourself up when you're at the level of C, you never allow yourself to get to A, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you might be paralyzed into doing nothing because like you're so overwhelmed by what it will take to get to a level that you just ought not to start things or to not follow through. And the world needs what we have to give at a C level and that's okay. Yeah. And it can be enough. Yeah. Because who's really the judge? Like in some aspects of your life, if you give C work, like that's enough, you know, it just is what it is. Absolutely. There are a lot of people too, I think that are definitely afraid to fail. And we have sort of the culture that we've bred and certainly I'm a part of it. And I think I raised a, a daughter in it too, is this like success and, you know, be an entrepreneur, but you got to do everything well. And, you know, to get to the level of being a full-time entrepreneur for a lot of people, they got to have other jobs because they need insurance and they need to pay their bills. So being able to make that leap is a really hard one. And so you're just constantly working to get there. Yeah, I I work because we need insurance. Yeah. Uh, And and that's a real challenge for us. And I don't know at which point I will be able to commit to our endeavors full time because being able to pay for insurance is such a sizable financial commitment that it's easier for me to keep my full time job and to work evenings and weekends. I'll tell you the answer. And that is when you have a net profit of twenty two thousand dollars, because that's about what it would cost to insure yourselves singly. And I don't know your family size, so it could go up or down a little bit, but that's about what it is. And I always talk to people that are ready to go out on their own and just say, like, are you prepared? This is what it looks like. If you make, I think you have, if you make like over $36,000 a year, you're all of a sudden then in this threshold where you have to almost be making 60 (laughs) in order to make all the numbers work. And people that people always say to me, and they say this with love, I'm sure, but Oh, you know, cause I'm a cancer survivor. The first thing they say is, Oh, it must be because you have a pre-existing condition. I'm like, Nope. It's because this is what it costs for insurance when you're a freelancer or you're on the hustle yeah. and it just is what it is, you know, and, and the min care and you care and the federal acts have helped and it has lowered things since coronavirus. It's been a little more effective. But it's still really expensive. That is something entrepreneurs really should make a plan for. Because once you take that leap, there's no COBRA for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Micah put in his notice at the governor's residence after I got a full-time job. (laughs) So we basically have been like tagging who gets to cover insurance for our family for eight years. Yeah. Can I ask a question about that? Just because I'm interested in food and of course, is that like a nine to five or are you like literally there to make them breakfast and then to make them dinner? Uh, it changes with administration. So I uh, started working with the Plenty administration uh-huh. and they just the way they used the, the residents um, and you really are the resident chef. Uh, yeah. So that building is you know a, a state of Minnesota property and and it's kind of can be used however the administration wants. So a lot of them do uh, pre-COVID times uh, do a lot of state um, events and even fundraisers that help keep the house together. And so the the first administration um, they were there middle of the week. And so there was a lot of more family meals for like lunch and like dinner meetings and. Uh, and then on the weekends we would do events yep. and yeah, you were like, I, w- I was the only one there full time. We had uh, other staff that we could call on 
for those other events. Uh, but then, yeah, during the the Dayton time, um, he was there full time. So then it was like, pick and choose which meals you're going to be there uh, to, do, you know, plated dinners, for example. Um, but other than that, you were preparing food and then just leaving it. So it was an easy kind of grab and go scenario. Yeah, I've always wondered about that because I knew someone once that was a chef for Prince and his hours were so erratic, you know, when yeah. he ate was really not when everybody else ate. So I was like, oh, that'd be so hard. <laughs> yeah, for him, for sure. No, yeah. at least the, my meal times were a little bit more <laughs> the typical meal yeah. time. Yeah. But yeah, um, the schedule, it was it was whatever it needed to be, which was I, I enjoyed. So, yeah, it just it sounds like such a it sounds fun to have someone to be like a personal chef. I don't know. I've always thought that would be really fun. I'd end up hating it because I like to cook. But yeah. I'm like, wow. And when sometimes we're sailors, so sometimes we've been on boats where people have like a chef. I'm like, wow, this is such a luxury. You sit down and someone's pouring you a fresh juice cocktail. It's like, wow, this is pretty great. Exactly. So thank you for allowing me to digress. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. Um, are there stores or restaurants or any places that are like on your hit list where you're like, man, if I could just get in there. Uh, that already happened. It's a big milestone for us as a small business. You have to tell a story. There, um, yeah, like we were big beer drinkers like five years ago. That was kind of like before that was like our drink. Uh, we would always go to breweries and then we were starting to get into cocktails um, and our favorite restaurant, they, they separated out um, by taste. So it was like, you know, the sweet cocktail, the salty, and it kind of opened up this world and they had sample uh, like a sample cocktail um, that you could order. So you get six different like little one ounce cocktails. It was wonderful. And so it really kind of started us down the cocktail world. And, we and where starting- was that? Uh, tongue in cheek. I in, loved it. I only ask that because I absolutely loved that. I yeah. loved going and getting a one ounce cocktail. It was yep. my favorite thing. Nobody yep. else does it. I really wish other people would do it. And I know it's hard to do it because they have to mix everything. Right. But, oh, that was fun. So yeah. we, so, you know, they kind of started us off. So I was really proud once we had our products I took them in and I sat down at the bar and I'm like, look, I don't need to tell you guys how to make cocktails. Like you clearly make everything here from scratch. Like you're doing an amazing job, but I would love any feedback. I want to share these with you because, you know, nothing better than community. Essentially, you know, you got to keep those connections. And uh, they were so gracious. They loved them. And they actually um, I came back like a week later after they had played around and they were like, we want to. Uh, include the hibiscus sage in their holiday cocktail. And so it was a lot of fun. We went for dinner, sat down at the bar right in front of the ticket machine. And like, as people were ordering this, you know, holiday cocktail, they're pouring our beverage, you know, right out of the bottle as part of it. And it was just like, it was a great moment. And I mean, word of advice for any entrepreneur is like celebrate those little milestones. And that was so far, that's kind of like the top of our list. I love it. So people can buy Muddle and Mint at muddleandmint.com. What retailers would you like to direct people to if they hear this podcast and they don't want to order online? 
Uh, well, Close at Heart is First Grand Ave on Saint, uh, in Grand Ave in St. Paul. It's where I worked and they were the first to bring us on board in a liquor store. Top 10 has also been an incredible partner for us. They keep highlighting our beverages on uh, new segments as well. So Top 10 and First Grand Ave in St. Paul. All right. I love it. Thanks, you guys, for being on the program. Thanks for making me aware of your product. If you wouldn't have sent it to me, I wouldn't have known. And I tell people all the time, and it probably sounds like I'm begging for free stuff, and I'm not. <laughs> but I'm like, just take a chance. Reach out. Like, say, hey, can I get your address? Because if I try your product and I like it, I'm all about helping support Minnesota people, right? So Absolutely. you just never know. It you got to get outside of yourself and take the risk and ask for help and get your product in front of people because that's the best way for people to learn about it. So thanks for being on the program today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.